Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, January 10th, 2022. And this year, we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero. And I'm up here traveling through North Carolina. You know, I, I saw a pirate yesterday, Katrina. Oh, yeah, Mickey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you know what his favorite letter was? Uh, R? Ah, uh, you'd think it'd be the R, but it's actually the C. Oh, the C. <laughs> That's a clever one, guy. Ah. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about the pirate perch. And this is a, shall I say, a really interesting fish when it comes to a particular part of their anatomy. It's actually located in a really odd place on their body. And I'll just come out and say it. Their anus is located right in the throat area. And that said, we are going to jump right in and start talking about this really interesting, cool fish. Guy, have you seen these in the flesh? Could you describe what these fish look like? I've had the fortune of seeing a couple, uh, they, they were juveniles though, is down in this sort of oxbow swamp. It's not really an oxbow lake because it was still connected to the Satilla River, but it was this real kind of heavily vegetated, lots of root wads and these cypress knees and this real muddy, mucky system down there in South Georgia. And we were sampling for a class and just pulling seines through there. And we did, in addition to lots of other species, get a few small pirate perch. It's closely related to some fish that we have out west, the sand roller and the trout perch. Yeah, trout perch. Yeah, it's the sand roller and the trout perch, right? Yep. Uh, that, that's one that you guys actually got up there in Alaska. It's kind of got a similar body shape, if you think about it. You, you can look at where they're kind of a, a stout, sort of stocky, short fish. Uh, these guys don't have an adipose fin, whereas those other two species we just mentioned do. Uh, this is kind of in that area evolutionarily where fish are starting to actually develop spines and moving from those soft rayed fins to those spiny fins. And so these guys, I think they have a couple hard spines, but they're not really well developed. And then pirate perch, if we want to get into the color, they're usually a pretty dark brown color. You had a really yep. distinct lateral line on them. Decent sized mouth for their size, but they're, they're generally these small sort of stocky uh, brown looking fish. Yep. And it said that a breeding adults could even be violet or purple. So they get some interesting coloration where the non-breeding adults are pinkish with some dark olive pigments. All right. And these guys are endemic to the eastern North America, correct? Yeah, you can find them in slow-moving waters. Uh, I don't know how far north along the eastern coast, but definitely along those Atlantic slopes, coming through the Carolinas down into uh, South Georgia and down into Florida. Okay, so the name pirate perch. They're actually not a perch, so it's not super helpful having that in the name. In fact, they're the only living member in their own family, with their closest relative being cavefishes. And I was reading that they got that pirate name by not playing well with others. So in a captive setting, they go on the attack, and they're often the lone survivor amongst the whatever other small fishes are in kind of a captive setting, and that's why they're called pirate perch. So, I mean, let's get into the reproduction. I mean, this is a very unique kind of location for them to have their anatomy. And they start out with everything kind of positioned in the normal, typical place. And it migrates up to the jugular area as they mature, which made me kind of think about halibut, how their eyes start out on either side of their head and migrate to the one side. But this is just such a unique thing. And I think only the cave fishes are the only other type of fish that really have this positioning jugular anus. I've just been waiting to say it. That's the one thing that everyone remembers about this fish. 
Uh, and even, you know, just it's this easy one that if you're trying to remember for your lab class or you're looking in jars, you know, it's it's the only one that has just this urogenital pore right on its throat. And the scientific name is super easy to remember. It's Afraidaderis say anus. The, the specific epithet is just spelled say anus and not actually because it has an anus by its throat where it says things. I was surprised to learn that. Yeah, it's for a completely unrelated reason from what I saw. Yeah, it's named after Thomas Say, who was an entomologist. Although the afraidaderis part does mean throat excretion in, in from Greek. The way I always remembered that, though, you know, uh, Botticelli's Birth of Venus, you know, where you got the naked lady, she's sliding in on the clamshell or whatever. And, and she's got, you know, she's got her hair down, it's covering up her, you know, her pubic area. But I always thought about, like, if uh, if she had, like, one of the holes in her throat and it was just covering up there. You know, because you know, Venus and Aphrodite is, like, the Roman Greek equivalent. And so, Afraidaderis, Aphrodite, say anus. And, and so, that's an easy way to uh, to remember this. But, yeah, so they, they got this thing. Other, and there's always a lot of debate about whether or how they reproduced and how they uh, cared for their eggs and whatnot. And the cave fishers, like you mentioned, I believe that they're uh, like branchial brooders. They'll, they'll keep the eggs in their mouth or around their gills uh, and let them uh, incubate in there. Yeah. So people thought maybe it was the same thing. As, and as far as I know, I, like I say, I've never actually done a lot of research into how these fish actually reproduce. But from what I remember, there was a lot of debate there was around that. And some people thought that they were laying them. Some people thought that they're kind of like excreting, like they got this ridge, this kind of groove that runs up from their jugular anus uh, <laughs> up to, towards their mouth. And when they sort of lay the eggs that come out of there, they start like flapping their, their gills around and it sucks them up, the, the eggs or the sperm up through the gills and then it's excreted out the mouth. And yep. they're, they're kind of doing this head first spawning spawning behavior where yep. they just ran their heads into the weeds trying to create a hole then they're spitting up their gametes into there i think it goes the female first and then the male jumps in there as they kind of launch them in there head first wise and i think that's just hilarious yeah so anyhow that's that's kind of what i know about them that's it yeah that's exactly it took some doing but the scientists finally figured out what they're doing and they're doing exactly that they're bringing it kind of through their mouth area and spitting it out and the females spit out the eggs and the males are fertilizing with their sperm and it's going into like a root wad. I think that was one of the habitats that they really prefer to use, kind of root masses, protect those eggs. They're not like guarding their eggs or being parental with them after they lay them. I, why did this develop? It just seems like there's so many effective ways. Like, they, they could even do like a back-end strategy. It seems like most fish are able to- I had thought I had read a long time ago that in terms of strategy, I mean, when they're in cover, you know, having everything kind of located towards the front, right? I mean, if they need to go to the restroom or go to the bathroom or whatever, they can just kind of poke their head out and go, right? They don't need to actually like come all the way out. Yeah, I'd heard about that too, but I mean- you know, famously, like flathead catfish, you have males that are egg garters that they hide in these kind of caverns and nooks and crannies. You'd think that there'd be other species out there that if this was such an effective strategy that would also develop that. Maybe there's just not enough selective pressure in these other ecosystems where these other fish live. That's this combination of uh, behavior by these fish and also the, this thick vegetated habitat that they're living in that really selected for it. I'm really not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're just highly developed. Maybe this is where all life is going. 
Okay, so I read about this really neat experiment where scientists gave tree frogs the choice of laying their eggs in a pool containing fish or not containing fish. And typically, you know, they chose to lay their eggs in pools with no fish because, you know, fish are a predator potentially on their eggs and tadpoles. And the one exception was the waters that had pirate perch. And in this case, the frogs laid their eggs there anyways. So whatever chemical cues that most fish emit, which frogs could detect, those were camouflaged by pirate perch, which is super interesting. These scientists did the same type of study with water beetles, and they had similar results there. So, you know, in addition to their interesting anatomy, they have kind of this invisibility cloak as well, which is really neat. So what do you know about that camouflage? And this is just kind of an interesting, different form of camouflage that these fascinating fish have. Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting study you brought up. And real quick, I, I, I love the title. The intro was, Is the Pirate Really a Ghost?, and that was by some folks out of Texas Tech a little while ago. And I wish there was kind of a big follow-up to it because they found out, yeah, that these beetles and these egg-laying tree frogs, they I think there's 11 species they tested. And of those, it was only the pirate perch that they couldn't detect. But they still don't know why. They, they don't know if it was somehow masking its odor or if it was sending some signals that confused it that they didn't know what it was or if it was trying to mimic something that would otherwise be safe. But it makes sense why they would want to be able to mask themselves so they could get access to those eggs that the frogs are laying or that they could eat the beetles. You know, a good way to describe this camouflage is kind of if you're, if you're thinking like what hunters try to do when they go out and they're putting other scents on them, if they're using deer urine to try to make them smell like a deer so they're not going to spook them off. We were talking to the people who work with the Devil's Hole Pupfish and one of the justifications that they made for why you want to conserve the pupfish is you never know what we could gain from studying and learning about that fish. And, you know, it makes me think like, okay, so we got this pirate perch here that it's got this ability to camouflage itself. I wonder how that could be helpful to, to humans. I, I wonder how maybe that could help hunters in the future to, to mask their own scents, stuff like that. I mean, have you ever, whenever you've been hunting, have you ever covered your scent like that, Katrina? I try to cover my scent with scent-free soap, so I'm not using any kind of smelly soaps or shampoos, but I've never put the deer estrus on me or anything before. <laughs> one last point that I want to make about this chemical camouflage that was made by one of the researchers was that it's actually, just because we're seeing in the pirate perch, that might not be the only place that this happens. This might actually be far more common than we realize, and we're only seeing it because we can't detect this camouflage as well as we can visual camouflage because the, the human sense of smell is not very good. It, it, maybe if we had a stronger sense of smell, we would realize that there's all kinds of animals that are doing this, but we just happen to luck into seeing that, oh, it happens that the pirate perch does this. And so it, it may be something that happens much more than we actually think. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever smelled like a, a fish that you've just caught, but some of them do have a, a an odor for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, your gars, your muskies. And, you know, I mean, this this seems like this is something biologically that the fish is producing or not producing. But you see all around the animal kingdom, I mean, I have washed off many a dog that has rolled in elk poop or something like that to presumably kind of mask their sense. I don't know if that's actually the case, but it seems like there's behavioral mechanisms that try to accomplish the same thing. So th this might not be unique to the pirate perch. I'd be curious to see what other uh, fishes and other animals are doing this kind of chemical camouflage. Either way, it's super cool.
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about fishing guy. You know, we like to think about fishing in the context of the fish's biology. Things we'll want to think about, you know, are what the fish eats, when it's actively eating, what kind of habitat it likes. So, Guy, I mean, what do you know about this fish and how would you go about approaching fishing for it if you were to go out and try to catch one of these pirate perches? So, yeah, so you're right on there, Katrina. When you're trying to go out for one of these fish, they, they are known for, you know, they have that big mouth, but they're a small-bodied fish. So they are eating small fish when they can, but really a lot of what they're getting at is insects, small macroinvertebrates that you're going to find in these kind of swampy backwater systems. And they are a nocturnal predator, so they're going to be doing most of their feeding at night, coming out and doing that. And now I've never actually caught one of these fish before, but if I was going to go out and try and do it, what I would probably do is set up sort of a micro fishing rig where you kind of got little, maybe small split shot sinker on the line and a small hook, and then put something on there that's going to have some smell to it because, you know, they're, they're looking for something that's probably got some sense to it. So, so maybe a small piece of worm, maybe a small bug if you can find a, a larvae or something that's hanging out there in the stream. And you're probably going to have to do a little bit of sight fishing for them or just looking for cracks or crevices where these fish might hide and putting something out in front of it to try and entice them out and to, to try and come and get it. And another, I mean, something else I read online, I, I know some folks around the country are setting minnow traps to catch bait. And I read that that's another way that folks are catching them sometimes and kind of an interesting way to get to see this fish and get to know it a little bit better, perhaps. Oh, yeah, that, that's definitely true. And I mean, you could probably, knowing that they're probably going to be spending the day hiding out, looking for someplace to hide, if you kind of dressed up one of those minnow traps, it would probably be a good cover for these fish to want to go into. So I, I could certainly believe that. But I, I think I mentioned earlier, too, that the, the one time that I saw these fish was in a seine. So if you're not wanting to go out at night, the trap or going out with some nets and trying to just either dip nets or seine nets, getting around in that marsh, trying to scoop up whatever you can, that might be a good opportunity to see them if you don't want to be stumbling around the swamp in the dark. Yeah, good tip. If you are going out in the dark, I would recommend using a headlamp if you have one. I oftentimes am fishing in the daylight. Most of the fish I target uh, tend to be diurnal or crepuscular. But I would wear a headlamp because you want to have as many hands free to be doing whatever it is that you need to do as possible. You don't want to be... I mean, a handheld flashlight is better than nothing. But if you can have two hands free and still have a light, that's all the better. They are super convenient. All right, mateys. Whether you like fish with a booty throat or a more typical anatomy, we hope you get out there and enjoy all the fish. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore, production management by Gabriella Montaguin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.